Hi, everyone. I'm Gary Knoll. We begin our program today, as we always do, with the latest on health and healing. This is about a study at the University of Agriculture. And what they found was that when you're consuming berries, specifically, they state black raspberries. Now, we all eat mainly red raspberries, but there's also black raspberries. And it has a lot of antioxidants, and those antioxidants can help trap and reverse the effects of free radicals. As we know, free radicals are natural byproducts of energy production. But when you have too many, even from exercising, by the way, that doesn't mean you shouldn't exercise. It means you should compensate for the exercise because when you're breathing hard, you're producing a lot of oxidative stress. And that oxidative stress means free radicals are hitting your cells. Let's just say you have 50 trillion cells. The average cell gets hit about 10,000 times a day and altered in some way damaged. When you're young, fine. The body can almost always heal. But as you get older, meaning over the age of 27, no, not so easily. And if you get into your 40s, really difficult. And then the body is in a catabolic state or always breaking down, not an anabolic state or, or building up. So it makes a huge difference having that cup of coffee, which you shouldn't have, it's bad for you, or even a small amount of alcohol, or having the sugar that we have, our high fructose. All of those things increase the amount of free radicals. Now let's just say that you're out and you're in a polluted environment. More free radicals. You go for a run. That's good, right? Yes, it is. Increase endorphins, the feel-good hormone, uh, called a runner's high hormone, and uh, generally for people that exercise more than six miles. But also, it strengthens your muscles, burns body fat, lays down new muscle tissue, and uh, that's all good. But, and here's the caveat, it also increases free radicals substantially. So you have to compensate. That's why in our Natural Living Running and Walking Club, about, uh, I'm guessing around 80,000 people who have attended uh, the workshops and classes. I'm putting photographs up on the web, thousands and thousands of photo uh, people in these photographs. Sometimes you'll have six, seven, a hundred people at a Sunday night, a Sunday morning meeting in Central Park. But they were all taught the same thing. Exercise is great. It's one of the key factors living a longer life, but it also gives you some harmful side effects free radicals. So, before you work out, you take your coenzyme Q10 and vitamin E. You take zinc and magnesium and a little vitamin C. Afterwards, you take a lot more vitamin C because you've created a lot of free radicals and vitamin C traps those free radicals and neutralizes them. So, you take, you take a pre-workout antioxidants and a post-workout antioxidants. And that does a great deal of good. Then you're getting all the benefits, but without all the harmful side effects. In any case, uh, the berries go to the top of the list. For example, berries are better than an apple or uh, an orange or a banana. And the best of berries would be the wild uh, blueberries. But right beside that, and probably equal to it, would be goji berries and also mulberries and the black raspberry. 
And by the way, they're, they're cousins, the red and the black uh, raspberries. So a group of researchers measured the content of phenolics and anthocyanins. These are positive chemicals in the berries of black raspberries and red raspberries and blackberries. A lot of people confuse a blackberry with a black raspberry and how much antioxidants they have. Well, guess what? It turns out that the amount of antioxidants in black raspberries was 300% higher than the other fruits under investigation. Remarkably, the number was even higher for phenolics where the amount of anthocyanins with black raspberries topping their humble cousins by, you ready for this? 1,000% more of the anthocyanins and the phenolics, which help protect the body and trap free radicals and allow you to live a longer life. So if you want to add years onto your life, black raspberries every day, all right? And that's important. And, uh, and by the way, an, a new study from Brown University shows that a drink before bed can cause reductions in REM, REM sleep, and you don't want that. A team of neuroscientists and sleep researchers at E.P. Bradley Hospital Sleep Research Laboratory, working with colleagues from Brown University, have found that rather than improving sleep, consuming any alcoholic beverage before bed can cause a reduction in REM sleep. Now, why is this important? Because, believe it or not, a lot of people can't sleep at night unless they claim they have alcohol. In fact, someone I personally know uh, who has been addicted their entire life, as long as I've known him, um, says that they have to have two shots of vodka before going to bed or they can't sleep. They're up all night. Now, of course, that creates a catch-22 because the amount of free radicals that you create when you drink any alcohol is phenomenal over what would normally occur in the body. And that's why we're seeing dementia in young people today, people in their 20s and 30s, not just because of COVID, uh, but because of alcohol. They just keep drinking more and more. And it sure didn't help during COVID that now liquor stores were considered essential. Health food stores were not. And people drank a lot. In fact, during that three-year period of COVID, we reduced our lifespan by up to five years. And that took us almost 50 years to gain those five years. And now, wiped out. Now, a lot of those people who are drinking, now they can't sleep unless they have alcohol. If you only could take a look at a brain neuron after it's been exposed to alcohol, it's just destroyed, it's altered. And that's permanent. So every time you drink alcohol, in any amount, you're destroying brain cells. You're speeding up oxidative stress in the brain. You're going to lay down amyloid plaque. You're more susceptible to micro strokes, a stroke that is not severe enough for you to even know you've had a stroke. You may feel that you don't have the same balance you once had. I know people that they go to, they go to sit down and they might miss a chair and they fall. They can't, they don't have the reflex action. They don't have the connection between the brain telling the body, uh, support yourself. They just, boom, they go down, get hurt. All because 
of that alcohol consumption. And caffeine's no better. So prior research has shown that REM sleep takes up approximately 20% of a typical night's sleep, and that's where you really heal. People who do not get enough can experience emotional problems, mental acuity difficulties, and memory issues. So in this new study, the researchers explored whether consumption of alcohol prior to sleep might have a positive or negative impact on sleep quality of REM sleep in particular. To find out, they recruited adults, volunteers, who spent three consecutive days and nights in a sleep lab on two occasions where their brains could be monitored as they slept. Both times the drink was consumed one hour before the volunteer went to bed. The research team found that drinking just one small glass of alcohol led to an increase in slow-wave sleep across all three nights. It also decreased the duration of REM sleep. Overall, they found that the volunteers were able to fall asleep faster after consuming the alcohol, but but their quality of sleep suffered due to their shortened REM and also about the melatonin secretion. That's not good. From Kyo University in Japan, a supplement combined with another supplement lowers Alzheimer's disease risk. Now, this was published in the major journal, number one journal, the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease, reported very positive results for a combination of three nutrients in a prevention of Alzheimer's disease in older adults. And this was called the TONE, T-O-N-E, project, which enrolled men and women, 65 and older, in Tone Town, Japan. And the subjects were offered a choice of receiving nutritional supplements, taking part in a two-year exercise program, or participating in both treatments. And uh, most of the people elected to receive the supplements. They were given 290 milligrams of EPA, essential fatty acids, 203 milligrams of DHA, from fish oil, and 240 milligrams of ginkgo biloba, leaf extract, and 84 milligrams of lycopene from tomato. They were given that for three years. Well, I know a lot of you are taking that regularly every day right now. Adherence to the supplement regime was associated with a 31% lower adjusted risk of the Alzheimer's in comparison to those who took no supplements. Now, the average American doesn't take any of these supplements. People listening to this radio broadcast all over the world, you do. You're right, and unfortunately, the other people are harming themselves by not taking them. And by the way, although engaging in the exercise regime was associated with 21% lower risk of Alzheimer's compared with those who did not take part in the program, the benefit was no longer observed after adjusting for a number of factors. But taking those supplements makes a big difference. So take your omega-3 fatty acids. All right, also take olive oil each day. And finally, from the University of Copenhagen uh, in Denmark, physical exercise boosts motor learning and remembering what one has learned. For example, violinists and surgeons and gamers can benefit from physical exercise both before and after practicing their new skills. The same holds true for anyone seeking to improve their fine motor skills. Being physically active and elevating one's heart rate has the wonderful side effect of improving our ability to learn by increasing the brain's ability to remember. 
This was done at the Department of Nutrition, Exercise, and Sports, and it has been shown that it applies to the formation of motor memory, enabling us to recall and perform tasks easily, like driving a car, and uh, everything is automatic. Riding a bike, riding a car, lacing up your shoes, if you're exercising, is easier. So, if you want to learn a new skill, exercise at the same time, meaning exercise in the morning or in the evening or both, and whatever skill you're learning that day, it'll be better included, inclusive, and overall it enhances the whole process. Exercise. That's the latest on health and healing. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, uh, I've got a lot of really interesting stuff to share with you. Also, don't forget, I do what is called a classroom on the air. I take a topic, a topic that impacts everyone, and extemporaneously I share insights on that. And uh, I also go into great depth about certain health conditions, like what would be the best approach to losing weight or helping with depression, etc. But then life issues I take on as well. And uh, so you can find that at Gary and All YouTube or Odyssey or Rumble. Now my hard-hitting investigative reports and commentaries, those are on Rumble. Back in a moment. Please stay with us. And welcome back, everyone. I'm Gary Knoll. I'm on a phone now because our line just uh, went down. We'll get it back up. And uh, for those of you who have just joined us, I want to thank the people for telling other people about this program because every single day for the past six months, we've seen an increase in our audience. Because we don't do any advertising, that's just word of mouth. That means other people are saying, hey, why don't you tune in and see what he has to say. And so thank you for that. Also, I'm doing the same programming that I've done my entire career, health and nutrition, but also environmental issues, dealing with important health-related topics that are not just what you would take. A lot of it's about, you know, like today's show, try this, try the, you know, the, the black raspberries, always positive for everyone. I don't deal in ideologies. I don't deal in identity politics or wokeism. Don't deal in those. Instead, things we can actually do that help Everyone with no occlusions. Now, but some people have their preferences. Some people like the investigative reporting. Others like the, uh, the commentaries. I did 53 commentaries last year alone. That's more than any other radio program in America. More original investigative reporting than any other program. More articles written on important issues that you can address, calls to action, any other program. More information on the truth about COVID. 5G, and other issues. So there are people who like that because they're not going to get that in the mainstream or even the alternative media. And uh, that's why I say thank you to people who can enjoy the whole program or find something within the program. Linda is one of those people. Linda says, Gary, this she wrote in on Friday, I've appreciated your health information for 45 years. But I also am very grateful for your uh, insights into the political information, especially the clips you play, especially on Fridays, when it seems you're, you played more than any other day. 
Also, WBI doesn't seem to preempt you on Fridays, so I can listen on the radio instead of on the telephone. Um, I have limited computer access. Thank you for bringing so much crucial information to our attention, information we don't get most other places. I think that's more important than just questions being asked by the listeners. And then that's it. Well, I would say two things. First of all, a lot of people have heard me coming up on 48 years in just another month and a half on BAA. That's a long time. It's the longest running non-commercial radio program in American history. But more importantly, BAI is preempting me a lot, and I understand why. Because I'm the only one that's raising money for the station, and without that money, they can't make payroll. If they can't make payroll or rent or utilities, uh, then all that has to be paid by the national office. That then puts a particular slant on the viability of sustainability of WBAI. And what that means is that there are those within Pacifica who would like to see BI sold, though its license isn't worth much today, and then use that money to pay off their debt and whatever else they feel is important for the other four remaining stations. But because Pacifica itself is shrinking and no longer as relevant as it once was, and it was very relevant one time, uh, then uh, it'll just then they'll have to sell another station and another. They'll just cannibalize themselves out of existence. So, and if you're not, if you're turning on noon and hearing me do a promotion for the station, you can always go to prn.fm, prn.fm, and, or excuse me, prn.live. I apologize, prn.live, and you can hear me there. And, uh, or you can call in. This woman used the telephone. Let me give you that number so you have it. The live number, 605-562-5119. 605-562-5119. My voice is very hoarse today because I had to do a four-hour uh, lecture last night uh, to a group. So a little strained. Now, what we're doing right now is I'm selecting topics that impact all of us. But I'm selecting topics that give us a different perspective of them. And I'm using some people, for example, um, Michael Schellenberger. Michael, his whole life, was a, um, was a moderate liberal, and he believed in liberal causes, voted uh, Democratic, etc. And then he begins to see the contradictions not just in how cities were de-evolving and becoming ghettoized, but also a lot of misinformation on environmental issues. And it ran contrary to what historically he believed in. So he started doing some real scholarship and wrote some books on this and did a TED seminar, etc. Now, some people could say, well, that sounds awful right-wing. It's not right-wing. It's just... Are we exposing ourselves to all the information and eliminate out of our lexicon Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberal, and just look at the status of our lives and how do we get here? Who's responsible? How can we change? That's what we're not doing. We're being tribalized. And in this tribalization, 
it's just one person against another, one belief against another. And my goodness, please, people, look at how you're being played by the powerful and the wealthy. They're not affected by any of this stuff. We are. So our first clip is going to be how the radical left turned America's cities into slums by a former uh, left-leaning person, an ideologue, Michael Schoenberg. Let's hear what he has to say. You can agree or disagree with him. But then I'm going to give a positive commentary of what the solution should be. I'm going to give you a solution for every problem, but I'm going to show you the problem. The trouble is if you're part of the problem, then you're not going to appreciate that and you're not going to appreciate or accept any solution. That's the difficulty we run in right now. Let's go to the clip, please. Can't walk around downtown San Francisco or downtown Los Angeles without seeing people using drugs publicly, defecating publicly. Hello and welcome to Offscript. My name is Stephen Edgington. Why are so many people leaving big cities? Some blame the pandemic, but is there something deeper going on here? To find out, I'm joined by the American environmentalist Michael Schellenberger, whose recent book, San Francisco, explains why progressives ruin cities. Is there a phenomenon of people leaving big cities in the United States? There is. There's a, there's definitely a phenomenon of people leaving big cities. There's also been a phenomenon of people leaving California in particular. However, we haven't seen it translate into lower housing prices. So to the extent to which people are leaving, it's not clear that they're selling their homes. So it may be a phenomenon where some people are leaving temporarily without selling. But unfortunately, that means that there hasn't been the sort of economic consequence for city governments to reform their policies in order to keep their residents happy. Why California in particular, and where are these people going? I mean, people from California go to all sorts of states. I mean, the most famous is Texas, but people leave to Nevada. They've traditionally left to uh, Texas, Utah, California, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Colorado, uh, Washington, Oregon, I mean, really all over the place. California's actually had a net migration over the last several years, and it accelerated under COVID. But yeah, I mean, the problems that I describe in San Francisco, which are mostly problems that had traditionally been on the progressive West Coast, are now being seen in other cities around the United States as we deal with our drug addiction and drug overdose crisis. And is the pandemic accelerating these trends of people leaving big cities to other places? I mean, particularly, in, for example, in London, many people have decided that house prices are far too high, they can work from home, and suddenly they're buying properties in the countryside and in other places just outside of London. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's definitely happening. We just haven't seen the decline in housing prices. I mean, and that's part of the problem, I think, is that in California, there's a sense among the policymakers, the elected officials, and sometimes they say it out loud, which is basically, where else are you going to go? California remains such a desirable location, spectacular geography, incredible climate. People really want to live here. I really want to live here. And so those of us that are fighting to improve this place, one disadvantage we have is that people, that politicians will kind of have this attitude that, hey, you don't really, you know, if you want, if you want to live here, uh, you don't really, you can't really vote with your feet. So that's been a big part of the problem. I think the other issue is that there's something called the Curley effect, which was named after a Boston mayor 
a terrible uh, mayor who drove out many of the people that he was unpopular with. And the result was that the people that left behind were the people that were more in more in his favor. So you end up getting a kind of uh, self-reinforcing vicious cycle. And I think to some extent that's occurred in California broadly and in San Francisco in particular. I want to talk about San Francisco in a moment. Why are people leaving cities like San Francisco generally? Can you give people a few reasons other than, for example, house prices or the pandemic? It seems there is something else going on here. I mean, I think it's hard for people that are not from here or who haven't spent any time on YouTube looking at videos to just understand how seriously uh, chaotic and deteriorating the situation has become. You started to see some people in New York complain about scenes that have become very common and familiar in San Francisco, but also in Los Angeles, Seattle, Portland, which is that you have what Europeans actually call open drug scenes that Americans have euphemistically referred to as homeless encampments, which is really a misdescription of what is going on in these uh, situations. These are groups of drug users who have, because of their addiction, lost contact with friends and family. They no longer work. They live on the street because they're saving their money to support their addiction. This is um, people that are often, sometimes they're traumatized. Sometimes they just got addicted because of partying too hard. But the addiction crisis in the United States has grown enormously. I used to work for philanthropies supported by George Soros, the very well-known currency speculator and billionaire. He's now a major philanthropist in the United States and has been for almost 30 years. When I got done working on drug decriminalization issues or what we call harm reduction issues in the 1990s, in the year 2000, 17,000 people were dying in the United States from illicit drugs. This year, 100,000 people died from illicit drugs. Uh, Drug overdose and drug poisoning is the number one cause of death for people 18 to 45. We, you know, to put that 100,000 in perspective, that's three times more people than die in car accidents. That's five times more people than are killed by homicides. So the drug crisis is really, it should be like the number one issue in some ways, or at least it should be a tier one issue, but it's been like a tier three issue for reasons we can talk about. But really what's at the heart of what we call our homeless problem, but to some extent our crime problem is driven by drug addiction and drug abuse. Let's talk about San Francisco. This is the topic of your book, the main case study that you use. Why did you choose that city? Well, San Francisco, I mean, it's where I live. I mean, I live in Berkeley, which is about a 20 minute drive. It's across the bay from San Francisco. So it's a city I've, uh, I love. It's a city I moved to 30 years ago. I met my wife there. I spent a lot of time in San Francisco is widely considered the most uh, beautiful city in the United States. It's also, um, it really punches above its weight in terms of cultural and political significance. Most of California's leaders over the last half century have come from San Francisco. I mean, a wildly disproportionate number, particularly when you consider it has just a fraction of the people as Los Angeles, just about one-tenth of the people as Los Angeles, depending on how you're counting those two regions. But San Francisco is really the heart of American liberalism, progressivism, and really what we would call the radical left. And I, I, the subtitle of my book is Why Progressives Ruin Cities. 
And the word progressive itself has a very interesting uh, genealogy, but the word today is sort of used synonymously for liberals. It often, but it really was also used by people on the radical left. And it's a word that has sort of united liberal and radical left people. And the result has been catastrophic. And I say this as somebody that comes from the left that used to be a part of the radical left. I now consider myself liberal, not progressive. But basically, San Francisco is really the incubator for a lot of the really terrible ideas that have been implemented and resulted in the deterioration and the destruction of some of our finest cities, including but not limited to San Francisco. Can you take us through some of the statistics in recent years to display what's happened to cities like San Francisco in terms of crime, drug use, homelessness, that sort of thing? Sure. Well, to give a sense of it, just California-wide, uh, California saw an increase in what we call homelessness by 30%, even as the numbers declined in the rest of the United States by 18%. The word homelessness is really a propaganda word. It's not a very accurate word because the word ends up conflating very different groups of people. It ends up conflating people that are schizophrenic and are off their meds and need to be under some kind of uh, psychiatric care. It combines those people with people that are suffering from heroin or fentanyl or meth addiction and have lost connection with family and friends and are no longer working because of their addiction. And then it combines people that are just down on their luck. So we do have a, a different word that we sometimes use called unsheltered homeless, which is people that are not in shelters. Those folks overwhelmingly are suffering from addiction and mental illness or both. So we've just seen massive increases, and those numbers I even I mentioned are pretty out of date. At this point, it's probably more like a 50% increase in the homeless population in California. But to give you a sense of it, I mean, you can't walk around downtown San Francisco or downtown Los Angeles without seeing people using drugs publicly, defecating publicly. There are tents really everywhere downtown, but even across much of the city. For a long time, this dysfunctional behavior was confined to a small number of poor, mostly African-American neighborhoods in our cities. As the drug addiction crisis grew worse and more people came from around the country, but also from within these regions to live on the street and support their addiction, those numbers grew so large that they were no longer contained by those neighborhoods. And so that's why, I mean, that's why I have a book contract on it. That's why it's a subject of national debate is because really it was no longer containable and it started to spread. Uh, the problem started to spread throughout the whole city. So, you know, you just see gigantic sums of money being spent on cleaning up feces. We have porta potties all over the city, but it doesn't really matter because people often don't use them. And really open air drug dealing. We have organized gangs that engage in turf wars. There's homicides. We've seen an overall increase of homicides by 30% between 2019 and 2020. We've seen an increase in all sorts of other crimes, property crimes, some of which are driven by addiction, like robbing uh, convenience stores and um, drug stores. But we've also seen more organized crimes, organized thefts and lootings of department stores. We've seen a lot more carjackings, car break-ins. So really, on the one hand, you could say that we're all of this is a drug and crime problem, but really it's a governance issue where many of these cities have just stopped doing what cities had traditionally done to maintain law and order. 
And they've stopped doing that in really, and I argue, uh, out of a kind of ideological commitment to radical left politics, to a kind of political correctness or what we might call victim ideology or woke ideology, which is something I know that you've discussed a lot on this program. But basically the idea that there are some people in the world who are victims and to them, everything should be given and nothing and nothing uh, required or requested in return. When I was growing up, every few years, I would go to San Francisco because I had family friends okay. over there. And... Now, you can agree or disagree, and there are some things that I disagree with him on. For example, when Michael's talking about homelessness, he's equating homelessness in the majority of cases with people who either have a mental condition or are addicted to drugs. In point of fact, this has been overlooked by everyone right, left, center, doesn't matter. And this is something I know a lot about because starting in 2008, right through till 2012, four years, I traveled all over the United States and asked a basic question. Where are all the homeless people? Because you had 24 million, more or less, Americans uh, thrown out of their 7 million homes who were foreclosed on. So then you find out the game of statistics they only count the homeless as those that are not, or those that are in shelters. Well, what about the shelters that are full, or the, the crime in shelters, the lack of safety? People don't want to be in the shelters. Then they don't count the people on the streets because they have no accurate way of doing it. Then what about all the people who are not on the streets, but are homeless because they're living in their cars or vans or uh, some other? place, or maybe couch surfing. I was driving down the street up where, near I live, out here in the country, and it was a Saturday, and I noticed an awful lot of cars in these small homes going down the road. I'm in a very blue-collar working-class neighborhood, and so I just decided to pull over. I was just curious, and so there was a guy outside of a garage. And he came over to me and says, you from the county? I said, no, no, I'm just a neighbor. He said, okay. And I said, why are there so many cars? Sunday, a lot of people go and socialize and have Sunday dinners and watch ball games together. This doesn't make any sense. He said, he was quiet. He said, he said we're building places for our friends and in-laws to stay. There's no double houses here. It's all single story generally 1,400 square feet, there's no extra bedrooms. So we're taking space in our garages to build them a bedroom with a shower, et cetera, but we have to do it on the weekends when the bureaucrats are not driving up and down the street and cite us for uh, not being uh, legally a single house occupancy. Anyhow, a single family, family occupancy. So the vast, vast, vast majority of homeless people in the United States are not mentally ill and not our addicts, and are not defecating on the street. These are just regular, decent human beings who, because of the circumstances of corruption in the Obama administration and the Bush administration, and the outsourcing of their jobs clear back to Ronald Reagan, and every single president since then, their jobs that were there and secure gave them a living wage, a lot of union that had uh, group protections, all went offshore, and not a single person was consulted or helped no one was retrained, retooled. Whole industries disappeared, not just jobs. 
so when your whole shipbuilding industry goes overseas, then you, you're, you're a shipbuilder where you're going to work. You'll be retrained. Who's going to retrain you? Nobody. Who has the money if you have no income and you weren't given a severance? So until we finally, and we have not yet, not once, not one single time has the American media or any politician in office been honest about the fact that America had its kneecaps taken down. They were on their knees after that with no help to get back up because of the unmitigated greed. And stop, for goodness sake, grow up. Stop being a child with a mindset of a, an adolescent. It's not about Democrat, Republican. It's not about liberal and conservative. They're both equally guilty. It's about not respecting human beings, the right to have uh, an environment that is sustainable and safe to live in. And that was absolutely done by all of corporate America. And all of the government supported it. And all the agencies that came. And then the subcontractors and the private-public partnerships that evolved from that. So that's what led to no one being bailed out. Barack Obama, in my opinion, is the worst president in American history. And I've, I've seen some bad ones. Why was he the worst? Because he was smarter than the other ones. More clever. More charming. But ask yourself this. What city did he get decolonized? What industries did he see that was offshore brought back to America? If he took one city as a, just an example to show could be done, and he brought back 500 businesses and gave gainful employment and then had a tax haven for them, so it was all to their advantage, and then helped them retool and get open, and then all those people become employed again with a living wage, and universal health care. Do you think that those people would be homeless? No. Doing drugs? No. People don't get up in the morning and do methamphetamine because they want to live and are happy and are, are optimistic. They get up and do something destructive. I don't care if it's overeating or smoking or drinking or cutting your thighs. And I know many, I know people personally who do that. And no one is resolving a single issue by any of these distracting behaviors and self-destructive and self-deprecating behaviors. And we have no one helping him because how in the world can you help someone deal with a problem if you're not acknowledging the legitimacy of the problem that transcends all political ideologies? So as long as we stay politicized, we can be tribalized. As long as we're tribalized, we're then balkanized. As long as we're balkanized, there's no hope. So when he's talking about everything in San Francisco. And he's right. In my opinion, San Francisco is the most beautiful city in America. Now take Seattle. Now take Portland. Great progressive cities. But progressive in the sense of being free to look for the truth without ideological boundaries. That's true progressivism. They bastardize the word. And so, and he used to get money from George Soros. That shows you how radically left he was. So what is the solution to this madness? It's not difficult. I've mentioned it many times, but no one seems to pay attention. First and foremost, stop all home foreclosures. Put a moratorium on it. Obama could have done that by executive order and by getting all the bankers together and say, hey, you all want help? Then no more foreclosures. Overnight, in a heartbeat, in a second, it would have stopped. 
24 million Americans would have had a place to live and then charge them only 15% of whatever income they have coming in so that they still maintain their sense of dignity and hope for a better future. You take away a person's sense of self. You take away their optimism. You take away their hope. And they're going to do drugs or some other behavior that compounds their self-loathing. Having been a head of addiction control at Trafalgar Hospital, having thousands of patients, I took a holistic approach. I didn't deal with the symptoms. I dealt with the underlying core problems, the progenitor. If you deal with a problem at its core, you have a far more likely outcome that is positive than if you just deal with the symptoms. And we are a society that has refused to deal with any of our core problems. Name me a core problem we're dealing with, honestly. Name me one. Obesity in children. Who's complicit? The parents? Absolutely. The doctors? Absolutely. Pediatricians at the top of the list. Corporate America? Yes, all the executives, ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, that promote sugar-coated cereals and fast foods? Yes. The board of directors of those people? Yes. And all the major corporations that are in controlling interests like BlackRock and Vanguard, do you think they give a damn about anybody but themselves? They don't. These, in my opinion, are the persons responsible if you go to the core. So why not start with the core and take away their right to harm you and make your child have diabetes and heart disease and ADD and ADHD and autism by all the unnecessary vaccines that are neither safe nor effective. And the science is there to prove that. But we want to look at the truth because if we do, then we have to acknowledge that we have been remiss in our responsibilities at every level. The executive at ABC making 300000 or $3 million a year heading up all their marketing. Do you not think that they're smart enough with all their degrees in Harvard? What a pathetic excuse for a school and an excuse for priding yourself on coming from there because you're an elitist now. And the elitists are the ones who are causing all the problems. The average working class person participates in the problems because their adaptive support of life energy. 75% of the people are worker bees. They're not going to lead. They're not going to demonstrate. So therefore, how are you going to get out of the problem? You're not. What has been done to solve any problem? Homelessness, drug addiction, wars, conflict? Nothing. Crime? What do they do? Let's do, we got so damn many crimes, let's just make it no longer a crime to commit a crime. What about all the small business people working their butt-offs? Well, they don't count. What about the citizens that need that drug store or need that you know, health food store or need that? They don't count either. Well, who counts? Clearly only those in power because they're sociopathic. A sociopath can commit a crime against a person, moral, ethical, and feel no remorse at all. And that's why no one, not a single person in power, has stopped this. They only compound it or distract. So what's the solution? Well, first to realize how you're being played and stop being a Democrat or Republican. That's just, God, that's childish. It's so immature. And yet, we are a very immature, selfish, self-absorbed society at this moment. 
we can't see the truth in anything because we can't get beyond our own blind cult-like ideology. My God, we're ready to goose step. We are dangerous. And that's unfortunate because the solution is really simple. What's the solution? Look today. Look, do your homework. Scholarship counts, not propaganda. The Biden administration, as of today, in two years, has spent $20 billion on just trying to deal with some of the uh, immigrants. Now, we're not even counting the immigrants in all this at this moment. But I just want to show you, how much does it cost an immigrant that you pay for, for with your tax dollars, to go on a bus from the border up to New York City or Chicago? $6,000. And there's 40 people on a bus. That's $240,000 that a private company is making to make a delivery that will cost them in the neighborhood of about $1,000 in gas. And they're not doing anything for the people. That's just riding them from point A to point B. Or how much do you think it costs when they're flying from city to city? It's more. And what if you own 10 of those companies? You become a multimillionaire in a month because this is daily. So you don't see the people who've gained the system and have all the cooperation and give the money. So you bypass all this. $20 billion and you have nothing to show for it. This year, the money that New York City alone will have to spend on how to deal with this migrants, and none of this dealing with it solves any problems. Tent cities that you gave $30 million for one tent city doesn't solve a problem. Now this wintertime, tent cities aren't even being used. So we're not dealing with any structural changes in the problem. Here's what would work. For $20 billion, and you've got nothing to show for it except a lot of abused and displaced people coming here thinking they would have an opportunity, I'm not even counting upon the cartels. I'm not counting in this the criminals. I'm not counting the gangs. I'm not counting the sex track of traffickers that are trafficking upwards of 100,000 young girls right across the board. I'm not talking about the terrorists either. Set all those aside and just deal with the legitimate people who are coming here because where they're at is no longer quality of life and they're coming to have a quality of life. We have, we have betrayed those people for political reasons only, to buy the vote, we give them uh, an open border, and then what do they get when they get here? How would you feel if you were a family living on the street and your kids in the middle of winter because you had no place to stay, the hotels were full, the camps were full, the, every place was full, and uh, you got a debit card, you got a credit card, but you don't have a future. So what exactly is going to be the outcome? Instead, what you do you take the money and you go outside of every major city. In Los Angeles, just a half hour north out of Marion County going north, you have land that the federal government owns and the state owns. You take that land and then you build sustainable, decent migrant cities. In those cities that could hold, let's say, 50,000 people or 100,000 people, you have schools, you have clinics, you have hospitals, you have food uh, cafeterias, you have, uh, you have apartments for families and singles, you have, um, you have for those that are uh, suffering from either any illness, you have a clinic there, it's open 
You have counselors, you have security. The gangs are not allowed. And you have sanitation. People have uh, bathrooms. At least they're treated like human beings. Then you have a large number of people, depending upon the size of the town. We're not talking about building skyscrapers now. We're talking about building residences, single-story residences, but thousands of them, which could be done in a martial plan and done properly so they can be used for a person until they are able to relocate. You have relocation counseling centers that prepare people based upon their background, their skills, um, to where they could go in America and help them make that transition from point A to point B so they become a productive part of the melting pot of America. That weeds out the criminals, the gangs. Who controls all the fentanyl coming to the United States? The Honduras gangs. What do they do? They control all the tents you see in all these cities. They're the ones who supply the drugs, the fentanyl, which this year will kill about 100,000 people. So what about all the mentally ill people? I walked down the Upper West Side recently and walking from uh, getting a juice at a health food store to Lincoln Center to meet a friend to see an art movie, I saw about 40 homeless people in the street. I saw some very violent, swinging steel bars, at breaking, just going up the street, just breaking every car window. And what was interesting is not that they were doing this. What was interesting is I'm watching this, and the New Yorkers are just walking right around them, not calling the police, you know, just they have accepted it. You know you're part of the problem when you've adapted to the problem. That's called maladaptation. And when I went to Lincoln Center, there were three other people in the theater. Great movie, by the way. And uh, I said, Steve, Steve Brown, my friend, I said, look around, Steve. We're the only two people here now, on a Sunday afternoon to see a movie that should normally be packed. Yes, because people have had to change how they live to adapt, maladapt. Now, if you're rich, you don't have to worry about this. You don't have to worry about you know, where your next meal is, you're going to be homeless, if you're going to have, you know, a person defecating in your lobby, you don't have to worry about that. But the rich don't care because they don't think the way anyone else has because they're not, they're not identifying themselves with the problems that the average person must. They're not on subways. They're not thinking, my God, am I going to get assaulted by some crazy person? Why don't we have mental health facilities specifically to intervene and to help the people who need mental health to get the help they need and to help the drug addicts. And it's not a choice of the drug addict wants to stay on the street or not. That's society's choice because that's society's street. Ah, but if you're an ideologue, oh, no, 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 that street is for the victim. Then you're victimizing all the store owners. Do you care? I don't care about anything. I'm an ideologue. I'm a selfish bastard. Okay, be that. Then the next time you get stuck with a needle and then have to go to the hospital to see what disease you got from that, or step on one, or step around feces, and you think that's just cool, it's not cool. It's not cool and it's not humane. No one deserves to have their skin rotted off by the drugs they're taking. These people need help. And you think you're going to sit down and have an intelligent conversation and the person is going to willingly say, yes, you know, I want to help myself. No, they don't. 
He is right about that. Remember, this is an area I live in. I've helped thousands of these people. You have to have facilities that are supported by the public to clean up our streets and get these people help. Get the people with mental conditions help, get the drug addicts help, get the gangs out of there, and re-criminalize shoplifting. Because New York City's small businesses lost $2.4 billion last year. See how many stores are closed. See how many offices are empty. How does a city regain its strength and integrity, its viability, its culture, if you just have to keep backing, backing, backing backwards because you're afraid of what you see coming at you in the front? So if you did this all across America, you had a Marshall Plan, and you put that money where it would actually prove positive, then we could once again be proud of ourselves of having people coming into the United States who we knew who they were, we knew they weren't gang members, we gave them a place to stay, we helped them learn our languages, we helped them develop the skills, there'd be workshops where people could learn crafts so they didn't end up working under terrible toxic conditions on farms or in meatpacking plants that happens now. Or unfortunately, at what point will a person coming here do anything necessary in order to survive? Because nothing that is being argued about at this moment is realistic to a solution. So if we tried this, we would have a different outcome. But we're not willing to do it. Because then it's not political. You're helping the individual assimilate into a society that is famous for its melting pot of cultural input. You're using them purely as pawns in a chess game to where you can groom them to on time, they're going to vote you and control the vote. And what happens then? Take a look at where we're at and now multiply that a hundred times worse. And that's where we're going if we don't change. But a lot of people are changing. A lot of people in this audience are looking to get out of the cities, and that's my best selection for good advice now. If you can't afford it, and by the way, the irony of it is a lot of people living in the city can't afford to live in the city, so they have no disposable income, and they're doing all they can to make ends meet. What in the world is so important about living in the city that you couldn't find a better quality of life and, and safer and more pleasant um, outside of the city in different places in this great country. We have wonderful country, a lot of nice people, great place to be, they're still safe. The cities are just not one of them, and they're not going to get better because those coming into office and those in office are not going to change the alliance between corporate interest, military-industrial interest, financial interest, agricultural interest, pharmaceutical interest, and big med interest. They're all in bed with them and they're controlled by them, and they're controlled by BlackRock and others. You've got to get off their grid, get out of the city, and start getting off their grid. There are 1,500 communities around this country that are getting off the grid, and that's good. Those are just my ideas. Whether you find any value in them or not, that's up to you. I'll open up the calls here for a few moments. We have four moments at the top of the hour. If you'd like to call in, share your point of view, call 888 874-4888. We'll be back on the regular microphone tomorrow. I just saw a notice here that it was the uh, uh, outside that went off the, uh, the modem.
went out. We'll get that fixed. I'd like to hear from you now. And uh, also there's a really good clip where Abby Martin is interviewing Peter Joseph. If you've never heard of Peter Joseph, he's really one cool dude. Got a lot of great insights, and I'm going to play that clip tomorrow. It's a long interview they do together, but they go behind the scenes to show you what American media is not willing to tell you about what's really going on in Gaza and why, and the history of it, and the politics, and the corruption, and the lies. And uh, I realize a lot of people in this audience that would have supported Robert Kennedy Jr. may not be supporting him now because his really uh, very pro-Zionist, uh, and Israel and Netanyahu and Likud perspective. And, uh, but I'm sending him uh, a list, a very scholarly list, no politics in it, of every single provable, demonstrable uh, crime against humanity that Israel's engaged in for the last 75 years. And say, Robert, I just got an email this morning from Robert. Robert, as right as you've been on so many issues, and you've been so right, please take advantage of looking at this instead of listening to the one side of the pro-Zionist argument to see if this will give you a more honest and objective perspective. My hope is it will. My hope is that they'll become more objective and, like myself, want freedom and peace for both the Israeli people and the Palestinian people or the, the Jewish people in Israel. I want both of them to live in, in a good way together. Do we have any callers? Okay. Well, we're up to the end of our time. Thank you all for listening. And go to uh, YouTube, Gary Knoll. And by the way, I want to say hello and uh, to our one of the people in helping Dylan. And Dylan has done a magnificent job of uh, being there. Uh, Salas can be uh, helping with all things PRN. And Dylan, uh, just uh, we want the audience to know we have another person there helping you. Would you give his name, please? Marlon. Okay. Well, let's see if he can work some of his magic on getting all. I've got so many uh, clips going up on Gary and all YouTube, on Classrooms on the Air, and also the health nutrition segment of our program is going on YouTube as well. So. Please go there to get a lot of new information every day. All, always positive, always with solutions. Thank you all for listening, and have a nice day.